Well, good morning, everybody. Again, how, how is there? How, how are you? <laughs> how are you? <ya? laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. Um, if you would take your Bibles, we're going to be looking in a, a, actually a variety of places this morning. So um, we will have the scriptures on the screens uh, that you can follow along. Um, uh, it, it'll be kind of like a sword drill. Have you, anybody remember sword drill uh, years ago? Anybody involved in sword drill when you were a kid? And I always remember a kid named Bobby who always cheated in sword drill. It, it would drive me crazy. I, I, I knew he didn't know the answers, but he would step forward. And, and uh, anyway, anyway, uh, don't don't know how I got off on that. <laughs> you know what? One of the uh, the most meaningful dynamics of the fact that human beings are created in the image of God is that he has created us to be able to think, to think. Remember the old saying, I think, therefore I am, or something along that line. <laughs> to be fully human is to think. In fact, the, 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 the term homo sapiens uh, means uh, wise, intelligent, thinking beings, thinking humans. Our ability to think is key to, to being able to interact with our God. Remember through the prophet Isaiah, he invited us. He said, come now, let us reason together. And this made in the image of God ability to think is something that was obviously very, very important to our Lord Jesus. See, when we've been focusing in this study on what's called the great commandment, the version of it that's in Matthew chapter 22, and when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, when he was asked that question in Matthew 22, um, the Lord Jesus went back to a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, in Deuteronomy 6, 5. But when he was asked in Matthew 22 in the Gospels, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment, the Lord Jesus changes that verse. The end of it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. With all your mind. Now understand only Jesus could make that kind of change to Scripture. Only he could do that because he is God the Son. Jesus wanted there to be absolutely no doubt in our minds no doubt, when we thought about what it meant to have a love relationship with God, that it must include our minds. I mean, think about it. It just makes sense, doesn't it? The mind is essential for any love relationship. How do you love someone with your mind? How many of you remember when you first fell in love with your spouse? Oh, come on now. Are you thinking? Let me ask, did you have to make yourself think about her or him? Did you have to make yourself stop during the day? And, well, okay, okay, now I'm going to stop. I'm going to think about them. No, no, no. The, the trouble was not there. The trouble was being able to think about anything else except for that person, right? If you love someone, you're going to think about them. You're going to keep them in your mind, and you're going to think about how you can get to know and understand them even more. 
You're going to, to learn as much as you possibly can about someone that you love. Otherwise, you're never going to mature in that relationship, right? And, and that learning never stops, should never stop. You know, I, I have to confess that I am a, a slow learner sometimes. I did not learn some of the most important things that I needed to know about my wife until we'd been married almost 18 years. 18 years. I told you I was slow, right? Um, her dad w was a wonderful man uh, who gave his life to Christ in, in midlife. But until that happened, he, he was very, very hard not on Julie, but hard on one of her older brothers, who always seemed to be getting in trouble all the time about one thing or the other. Very hard on him. In fact, physically very hard on him. And when those loud and violent times happened, it, it made her very afraid. And when she was a little child, she was running to hide under the bed until she felt like it was safe again to, to be able to come out. When she got older, she would just stay away from the house, or, and she would never bring friends to the house out of fear of that happening while one of her friends might be there. Now, as I said, it was 18 years into our marriage, but learning that about her, that she had to deal with that kind of fear while growing up, was very important for growing in my understanding of her. It's critical to be a learner in any love relationship any love relationship, but especially in our love relationship with God. You know, we've been, again, focused on the great commandment, what we call the great commandment in Scripture. But there's another famous passage in the Bible that's called the Great Commission. Found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our church's original mission statement that we put together some 24 years ago actually said our mission is to be a people who increasingly love God, love others, and make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? That, that word disciple means a learner. Every one of us as Christians is to be a learner, a learner about God. We love him with our minds by being a learner of him, by being his disciple. And, and the, the whole reason that it is even possible for us to learn about God is because God has chosen to reveal himself to us. He has revealed himself in two primary ways. One, as we've been talking, is Scripture. The inspired, God-breathed Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter, two, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the second way, again, that God reveals himself to us, and the supreme way is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews. In fact, this is how the book of Hebrews begins, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son 
is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We learn about God the Father through studying the exact representation of God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word revelation means to, to draw back the curtain which is exactly what God did. He chose to draw back the curtain and reveal to us in his word and in his son what otherwise would have been impossible for us to learn. It would have always remained hidden. So, it is the Bible, if you haven't already guessed by now, it is the Bible then that is the foundation of the Christian mind. Because we're able to learn from the Bible what otherwise it would be impossible to know apart from that revelation of God, that drawing back of the curtain by God for and to us. Well, if we want to love God more, then, we have to know him more deeply. The more we understand God with our minds, the more we love him with our minds. So again, loving God with our minds involves understanding what the Bible says about who God is by virtue of his revelation to us. And we learn better how to obey him as we learn from him in his word. We learn how to obey him through what he reveals to us. It, it, we don't let his word go in one ear and out the other. We don't, we don't read his word and think, well, that's, that's one option for how to live my life. No, we obey. We obey his word because we love the God of the word with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds. Do you remember the, the promise by chance if you are here last week that, that we just barely touched on? And, and, and I'd like for us to, to let it soak in a little more deeply this morning. But from John chapter 14 and verse 21, the, these words of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. It's a, an amazing, amazing promise. We love God with our mind. And as we learn and obey, but we, we learn God, we love God with our mind as we learn and obey, but we will never outlove him. You heard what he was saying. In fact, you might even call this the ripples of revelation. The more we love with our minds by learning and obeying, the more we will experience his love for us. And the more we experience his love, the more we learn of him. And the more he reveals himself to us, which again, in turn then, motivates us to learn and obey him even more. You know, that's what we call the ripples of revelation. It's a wonderful promise. We love God with our minds. By learning both what the Bible does say about him and what the Bible does not say about God. There's an interesting group we learn about in the book of Acts in the New Testament who were very, very careful about that. They're called the Bereans. The Apostle Paul and, and his, his mission partner Silas uh, had, had arrived in Thessalonica and they ran into some bad characters there. They had to sneak out of the city by night and the Bible says that the book of Acts says they went to Berea where they had a much better reception. Acts 17, verse 11 and 12. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, 
and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now, can you believe these guys? I mean, they are, they are putting the Apostle Paul to the test. They are wanting to make sure that what the Apostle Paul is telling them is true, that what he is saying about God is right. They're making sure that he's not saying anything that the Scripture does not say about God. So important. I mean, there is so much misinformation out there these days. In our society in general, but regarding Christianity in particular. In his book, A Mind for God, by James Emery White, he tells about his daughter's first semester at an unnamed leading university here in, our, in the country. And, and he said in her very first history class, not religion class, her very first history class, that her professor announced that Jesus was not born in Bethlehem, that he was born in Nazareth that none of his followers ever saw him as divine until centuries after his death. That there was never any intent to form any kind of church. That the four gospels in the Bible are riddled with discrepancies and errors, and that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Huh. Dr. White writes, I will never forget my daughter calling me almost in tears over the statements made by the professor about her faith. Even with a firm worldview coupled with years of reading and instruction that enabled her to know how spurious the professor's claims were, she was emotionally shaken that her most deeply held values and convictions had been defamed and assaulted so vigorously. Even more, her heart was breaking over the 300 other students in the class who sat passively taking notes, accepting the professor's statements uncritically as fact. And friends, not all the misinformation is coming from secular university professors who despise Christianity. Some of the misinformation is coming from Christians who claim that something is in the Bible when it is not. Or they might not even claim it's in the Bible. They just claim it. <laughs> Please be very, very careful in evaluating what you hear according to the truth in God's word. Be like the Bereans. The Berean Jews loved God with their minds by embracing the truth and only the truth. And through their embrace of the truth and of God's word, they came to understand who God is. And many of them, as we saw in the book of Acts there, came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, if you wonder where to begin in the Bible, with the Bible, when it comes to learning and understanding God... There's a passage that, that actually gives us a great outline for that very thing. Proverbs chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, that is, if you make it a priority to read, study, and meditate on God's word, not just devotional thoughts written by others, but God's word itself. Book of James talks about receiving the word implanted. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, that is, grow a strong heart for the Bible, a heart that deeply values God's word, a heart that is, is willing to be taught and trained by the full counsel of God's word, the full counsel of Scripture, not just the parts that you like best. 
Verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out, pray for insight and raise your voice for understanding. That is, pray continually for understanding and insight as you read and as you study his word. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. That is the, the reverence of God. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Revelation. In other words, dig into the Bible as though you were digging for hidden treasures. Except in this case, you know it's in there. You know the hidden treasure is there. You just have to, to make sure that you're digging for it. And again, when you search for it, God's promise here and elsewhere is that you will find it. There is no question about it. And with it will come wisdom. With it will come knowledge. With it will come understanding. That is loving God with our minds through Scripture. Well, we also are to love God with our minds by thinking godly or Christianly, if you will. That is with, with what is called a biblical worldview or a view of this world that, that is informed and shaped by biblical truth. One author points out that throughout history, there has been a great divide in this world when it comes to how we as Christians even approach the very act of thinking as compared with unbelievers, with non-Christians. I quote, This divide has separated humanity from the dawn of civilization. Its distinctive wedge has shaped discourse and debate, philosophy and reason, science and commerce. Yet as broad as the divide may be, the essence of the chasm is simple. There is either something outside of ourselves that we must take into account or there is not. Let me repeat that. There is either something outside of ourselves that we must take into account or there is not. The Christian mind, he writes, is a mind that operates under the belief that there is something outside of ourselves that we must take into account. That something, of course, is the God of the Word, our Creator, the source of all truth. And friends, if we are going to help our culture respond to Jesus Christ, then we have to respond to culture from a biblical worldview. Now, do we all agree that our culture needs a lot of help right now? <laughs> Friends, secularism is ruling the day. Judeo-Christian values have been marginalized. Christianity is being censored on so many fronts. And the concept of truth has become completely autonomous. That is relative to the individual and only acknowledged by group consensus. There's the current progressive full court press with all things related to sex and gender, even a, a revival of, of Marxism, which is a failed intellectually discredited philosophy, all a part of what I like to call the social flash mob movement. <laughs> I was listening to an interview a couple of weeks ago with a man named John Mark Comer, a man who loves God with a, a brilliant mind. 
And as he was reflecting on various questions related to our society regarding current secularism, he made a simple but a very profound statement, one we need to let soak in. Secularism, he said, doesn't have any metaphysical ground to stand on. No metaphysical ground. Now, I know the word metaphysical is kind of fuzzy, <laughs> but, but essentially it means that there is, that what he's saying is that there is no root connection or origin in anything outside of ourselves. It has no metaphysical connection. So secularism has no grounding in any source of truth outside of the individual or group consensus. In other words, Liberal, secular progressives, with all they're pushing right now, can only say, this is right, this is right, because we say it's right. Now, remember, again, there either is something outside of ourselves that we must take into account, or there is not. Current secular thinking believes there is not that there is no personal God who created us in his image and is the source of truth. The basis for what they say is right is a crowd-sourced morality. It's their own moral vision of society based upon their idea of what is right and what should be. Again, as Comer observed, they have no metaphysical ground to stand on. Yet, for example, with great fervor these days, they're trying to impose their view of sex and gender and sexuality, but not only upon the Western world, but upon the entire world, on the developing world as well, Africa, Asia, people of color all around the world. But interestingly enough, Christians in the developing world are not having it. Good illustration of this happened within a, a global mainline church denomination about a year and a half ago. The mostly all-white progressives in the denomination here in the U.S. tried to change the global denomination's sexual statement. And the African brothers and sisters stood up to them wanting to know, says who? <laughs> says who? On what basis are you telling us what should be acceptable or unacceptable? What should be right or wrong? In other words, what is the metaphysical basis for this? Ironically, the white progressives ended up even accusing the, the black Africans of bigotry. Crazy world. But the Africans stood their ground and blocked the change from being made. So, the question becomes... If we're just making up what's right or wrong based upon crowdsource morality, just a social majority rules mentality, then what becomes the basis for saying anything is right or wrong when there is no metaphysical grounding for it? Well, once again, Comer points out that a society in which social media is telling you what to believe and what is true, cannot survive. Cannot survive. He then added something that, that I found very, very hopeful. He said, this is why I think that Christianity will have an important role to play in whatever comes next culturally in the West. He quoted Voltaire, who once famously said, if there was not a God, we'd have to invent one. 
Meaning that you cannot, you literally cannot function as a society without an appeal to a higher moral authority and transcendent purpose. So as our society slowly collapses in on itself, and we as Christians have to be ready to step in what comes next. We have to be ready. As the hopelessness of crowdsourced morality becomes more and more evident, we must be ready to share the good news that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, that he is the truth that will truly set you free, free indeed. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let me conclude with a verse that some have called it a charter for the Christian who loves God with one's mind. Wonderful verse. Verse to put to memory when you have an opportunity. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we um, recognize that we live in a a unique period of time in the history of the world, certainly in the history of our country. Father, as like no time ever before, we acknowledge that we as your people need to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you loved us, that you chose to reveal yourself to us in your word, that you chose to reveal yourself to us in your son. Lord, may we truly think, think in ways that not only learn more and more about you, but in ways that ultimately glorify you. May we think with minds that are, that are truly ready to step into to what comes next in, in our society right now, which so desperately needs your truth. So we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.